Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, for all of the gifts which we've been given by you, we give you such great and humble thanks. We include in that, Lord, the uh, gratitude for the gift of sex, um, uh, with the fear that most of us would bring into this uh, conversation with our children. Um, We pray now that you would be right in the middle of that fear and and, uh, be at work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is good to see everybody this morning. I'm going to try to fly because I've uh, got some things to kind of go through and then I'm going to uh, end by 10 after the hour so that there can also be a panel, um, a lot of interaction. The cards are on the table. If you have any questions, just because I think of, of the, the, the space and time, um, write those down. Um, we can talk about them at the panel or later on today or... Uh, uh, of course, email me or Joe or Cameron or, or anybody else if you have questions after this. Um, coming through quickly, and I thought how to start with this, and I thought, you know, why, why are we here? I think negatively we're here because, you know, I'm a parent of a fourth and fifth grader. Uh, uh, I imagine in this room there's everything from three months old up through 20s, if not more. Uh, a lot of fear about having the conversation with, with our children about the area of sex, sexuality, etc. Why are we here? Because I want to see what I need to say to my child. Um, uh, what's the? A lot of us maybe not say it out loud, but we're thinking, what's the least I can do here <laughs> in order to make sure my child is going to be okay? Because the the the, the least I have to do is the you know, I won't be as un, I won't be so uncomfortable because I have such a fear of my own inadequacy, fear that they're going to ask me questions about my own past, my own history. Who am I? We just bring so much into this area. And what that means is it ends up getting brought down to a least common denominator, and we're like, well, if I can just get my child through. And we start to have language like that, if I can just get them through. And we don't really know we're through what? Through high school. Well, that's just because now I don't see them, and we're short-sighted because they're 12, and we're thinking, if I can just get them through high school. And then they get launched to this thing we call college, which is... Whoa! I mean, it's not what we had when we were in school, and it was bad then. Um, uh, so we have all this fear, and it's all negative because it ends up being um, language like, well, I hope we can just get through where my daughter or my son doesn't get caught up in one of these sexting scandals that we read about or we hear about, or that you know they don't have sex with anybody, but really in parentheses we mean with the wrong person at the wrong time or in the wrong place. Um, you know, we start having those kinds of, of, uh, of fears. And so I think that's why we're here. Now, positively, why are we here? And this is really strange. I talked about this some at the earlier, in between the earlier, between the earlier session and now. In a strange way, and we spend a lot of time just because of constraints, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, the goodness of sex, that it's given to us by God. It's on page one and page two of the Bible, and sin starts in page three. So sex happens, and it's given to us by God as a good gift before any of the, the, the bad happens. And as strange as it sounds, our children, no matter how young they are, even if they're not yet born, they are, in fact, sexual beings. And that's really strange, but I have two daughters. Uh, as odd as it sounds, it made me think since I said two daughters, this is being recorded, and it is. Um, uh, most of their life, without me especially, you know, is going to be spent with them being actively, you know, sexual. Maybe not physically, but at least in their orientation, their knowledge of themselves, that, that I part of who I am is, you know, who I am vis-a-vis my sexuality, as it's called. 
We don't think about that because right now for young children that sexuality is dormant. But positively, we're here because that's part of who we are as parents, as we've been given children by God to be stewards of their life through this first part of their life to then release them to, uh, to their husbands, to their wives, to, to the service of Him. That's all the positive vision. Uh, a part of that, and it's good, is, is sex. Page 1, why is it on page 1 of the Bible? I'm going to go through this very quickly. Um, because in Genesis 1, we read that, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it was so. Now, just like then, we, we may not know if Adam and Eve had belly buttons, but we do know that that meant that they were having sex. We, the Lord hasn't changed the way we are fruitful and we multiply. We, we, they were having sex and it was given to them by God. And on the sixth day, he pronounced that it was very good. Now, that's kind of weird for us to think about, I think, for most of us. We don't think about sex that way. The first day it was good. It was the division of light from dark and all that. And the second day it was good. The third day it was good. Fourth, fifth, it was good. And the sixth day, it was very good. Why was it very good? Because creation was finished. Male and female, in his image, he created them. And they were part of how he created them was to be fruitful and multiply, to enjoy the fruits, including sex, of his creation. And it was very good. And that's actually part of the vision for our children. And that's really strange. Strange for me to think about my girls in that way. But, but, but it's there. So in Genesis first page, it's there. Genesis 2, it's there where he goes forth and says, and they shall both become one flesh. That's, that's a sexual part. It means a lot of other things too, but it's at least partly sex. Because Paul then, much later, after the fall, after sin is in the world, speaks of sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, he refers back to Genesis 2, and he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He's actually, it's a very sexual reference, members of Christ. He's thinking of our, at least including our sexual members, and make them members of a prostitute or another? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to another becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one. So he very plainly is saying that in Genesis 2, among other things that I'm talking about, I'm talking about sex, which is very good. But now, through the fall and through sin, we have this peculiar place of sexual sin. Um, last word on this area, and then we're going to move on. Sexual sins, and on the handout, which you can see, and I'll, I'll refer to that throughout, um, it's uh, 12 principles um, from this book, which is the book that I still like to recommend the most, How and when to, have, to talk, tell your kids about sex, a lifelong approach for shaping your child's sexual character, written by a psychologist named Stan Jones at Wheaton. Um, he's, he's, got, he's got a good word here. And he outlines these 12 principles, um, one of which, as he's describing uh, 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 towards the end, that, that sexuality is not the most important thing in our lives. Where are those? I need to have a copy. Um, Sexuality is not the most important thing in our lives, and our God can forgive, redeem, and heal anything. So although sexual sins, our own and our children's, are not um, any worse than any other sin, um, they do stand out differently. They have a way of lingering, because Paul describes it as this. Uh, flee from sexual immorality. Um, it's where we get the word pornography. Porneia is what that word is. Flee from porneia. 
For every other sin commits, uh, every other sin a person commits is outside of his body, but the sexually immoral person, in other words, you and I, <laughs> um, uh, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, uh, whom you have from God, the Holy Spirit? You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Glorify God with your body. There is something unusual about the sexual sins. That's one reason we have so much apprehension and fear. They are not worse. But they do seem to be different. Um, they, because it says every other sin we commit outside of our body, but the sexual sins linger for decades, for generations, in fact. Um, they, there's a way that there's a power in that very good uh, gift from God that um, has a disproportionate, that sometimes has a disproportionate effect on us in our um, in our sinfulness. So I just want to capture all that and at least state it. Our theology of sex, sex is good. First messages are the most potent messages. That's one of the principles that Stan Jones outlines. Important for us to begin to reckon to ourselves that, you know, whatever I want to tell my children, I want to communicate that sex is not dirty or bad or, you know, when you have to do it, you know, this is the way it should be done, um, you know, all that. And we can laugh. I mean, you should be laughing. Um, uh, but we also want to sort of convey that, you know, sex is good and have that be the first word rather than a corrective to all the other words that are out there. So, so that's where I wanted to go there. Quick shift, about to move to some media parts and, and to kind of set the stage in terms of what the uh, voices are. Why, spend, why do I spend so much time talking about media and its influence? And by media now, even since I started doing these talks four or five years ago, it has changed so much. It used to be movies <laughs> now it's 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 I mean, that's down the list I mean, it's social media it's all the networks it's it's all the uh uh the the the, the youtubes the the the, the, the tumblers the gifts that they can see all the videos vine Pinterest, all the things that have now emerged even practically as we're speaking that's the medium so one of the taglines for today that i'd like to sort of leave with everybody is you know how and when do we talk to our kids about sex? Um, anytime you can, because they are, they are being talked to about sex all the time, all the time, even when they're little. Talked about earlier, you can't watch a football game without our children, you know, our two-year-olds being talked to about sex. I want to sort of open that perspective up. They're being talked to about sex all the time. Don't we want to have a part, a voice in that conversation? And implicit in that is a conversation. Most people now, again, when I first started doing these talks, this was kind of a new word to say, you know, get rid of the idea of the talk and make it into the conversation. Now that's what everybody's, and it's good. It needs to be seen as the conversation. From the time they're little to the time when they're, you know, probably until you die, <laughs> um, have a conversation with your children about sex. And then secondly, a, a spinoff of that, the first principle that's on here, um, sex education is about the shaping of character. Character, our identity, their identity, who they are, uh, it's not primarily about information. That's good. That's a necessary sort of first step. You know, this is a, these are the girl parts. These are the boy parts. When you put the two together, you know, peanut butter and chocolate makes, you know, great Reese's cup or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, that's actually not, you know, uh, actually say something else about that in a minute. Um, 
that's that's not all of it. It's uh, it's about it captures the entirety of who they are. And this is a I mean this to be a word of encouragement. Um, talking earlier, you know, this is Red Ribbon Week for some of the schools. All the schools have a version of them. Uh, most of that's about drug and alcohol. They expand it to kind of choices, and, and just under that, the schools can't quite go there. It's really about you know care. Well, that's something yeah, they can character traits development. All that we're talking about this morning works for alcohol, drugs, um, sex, how they are responsible consumers of technology, uh, of, uh, of, of what they have in their pockets now, um, on their phones. Uh, the, all of this is captured in, in the same vein. We're going to talk about sex primarily, but it's about alcohol and drugs, and most of the time those things are intermingled anyway. Um, that's just a statistical statement for, for teenagers. Sexual activity is most often correlated to concurrent substance use. Um, not a surprise. So with all that, um, don't we want to have a part of the conversation? I'm going to kind of spend a lot of time on a lot of these slides. Social media, um, again, this slide is a few years old. Um, it's kind of funny. It's a T-shirt. Uh, uh, social media unlocking the awesome potential of behavioral disorders, narcissism, stalking, and ADHD with MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, and Tweet, you know, all the different things. There's just this, you know, amalgam of, of voices that produce, you know, they affect our children. They affect us uh, sexually in terms of who we are, about, you know, alcohol, everything else. It comes together. This is a brief time. How fast it changes. Where the book now is, is really outdated because it was probably written somewhere back right in here. Um, Twitter was just coming online, so they didn't have much. I think it was 2007. So every, I mean, it changes so fast. Look, in the last two years, three years, Pinterest, Instagram, um, Snapchat, Vine, uh, uh, the, the lookalikes for, for Pinterest, um, GIFs have become a lot bigger. Uh, you know, it's just it changes so quickly. You can hardly write a book now. That's why most of the information is most readily available online because it needs to be updated so quickly. That's just to say there's so many voices going on, and most of it's going to have to do with sex. Also disconnects us. This is how we're alone together. Family of Four, a New Yorker cover from last year. You know, out in the middle of paradise, and everybody's looking down at their phones. Um, lots going on right now. Moving into how our boys are being affected. This is our uh, this is our son. Isn't he beautiful? Um, you know, he's sort of zoned out. Uh, typical 19-year-old boy spending a lot of time in his games. And what's he doing there? And how is it affecting his brain, his body, his relationships? A lot of research based on this in terms of of how uh, uh, game use and the consumption of of explicitly aggressive and and sexual material affects his mood, depression, anxiety, all that sort of stuff, academic performance correlated to at-risk behaviors. So I'm not trying to say it's evil, I'm just trying to call a spade a spade. Unproctored use, that's a slide I'm not going to talk about. This is from the most recent Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto 5. Um, you know, most of our 11-year-olds probably aren't playing this unless they have older siblings in the home than they might be. Um, and just kind of look, there's a lot of subtlety, I think, that goes on with this kind of artwork. Uh, the intermingling of excitement and danger and rule-breaking and sex and uh, 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 violence, all sorts of things are going on. 
And this is just the girls. Now, obviously, this is one way the boys are digesting what girls are supposed to be, but it's also how girls are. Look, she's taking a selfie. Um, and it's a cartoon, so it's not real, right? So it's not real. Um, but our boys are developing an arousal template, as it's called, to, uh, to cartoons now. Um, big deal in Japan. We'll see a slide on that in a minute. She's taking a selfie. Look at the way her lips and her eyes are. I'm going to say more about that. That's a uh, very um, common pose now. Uh, with, on both pictures, you know, just barely parted. Um, obviously, the, uh, the intermingling of the phone in both these pictures. Technology is everywhere. Technology and sex for our children, one and the same. There's not a difference. Um, I was going to show a quick clip, but I won't now, from He's Just Not That Into You with Drew Barrymore. Never saw the movie. Have seen the clip. She's complaining to her friend in the aisle. Uh, you know, gosh, I just don't want to do this. You know, it's just so hard. You know, I called him and he returned his, my, my, I called him on my cell phone. He returned it on my home phone and then I emailed him, but he emailed me back on my, 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 my work phone and then I texted him back and then he did this. And it's like, I just missed the days where I could just get rejected by one technology where he called the one phone that I had and it had a cassette tape and I could play it and I was rejected and now I have to go through all of these different portals just to get rejected by seven different technologies. It's exhausting, you know. And this is a good clip. You know, she's Drew Barrymore and so she better not. It's exhausting. And see, it's funny to us because we had the days where we had the cassette tape and the, the, the answering machines and all that stuff. Our children wouldn't get it. Think about it. Our children wouldn't understand why that's funny. They're what's called native. They don't know anything else about um, seven different portals, you know, 11 different portals, 18 different portals um, as ways to being rejected. The condemnation and the judgment um, or the success, the conquest, whatever else that's coming. And all of this is just to say that sex, media, the voices are out there. They're being formed. They don't even know it. They don't even know, like Drew Barrymore is saying, that I'm exhausted. Um, uh, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, on the left, two popular vi a popular video game, intermingling of sex and violence. On the right, it's what's called an anime, um, huge in Japan. This is the uh, uh, what I mentioned earlier in Japan. Um, the the sexual templates uh, are being formed in young men tremendously by this. Look at the disproportionate bust. I mean, just there's just so much suspension from reality uh, that it's there's a lot going on with the demure look, the very small mouth. There's just there's a lot going on. I did a Google search. Um, what I what I type in five most popular video female video game characters, and this is what showed up. Um, look at how sex and violence and the breasts and the the uh, the, 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 the fantasy that's involved here. This doesn't exist in real life, um, the, the, the way the women are drawn here. But this is how our guys are being consumed, and our girls. Our girls are being consumed by this, too. We are left with an indefinite adolescence, a Peter Pan syn and, uh, syndrome epidemic where men want to remain boys forever. Really throwing that out there for you to pick up and watch how um, adolescence defined by poor decision making, um, uh, impulsive behavior, um, and inability to properly assess data um, and to see things as they actually are and very short-sightedly make decisions based upon immediate gratification. That's kind of a clinical definition of, of, of adolescence. 
and 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 more and more people are thinking, um, some of the observers of culture and 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 science, that this is a, a occurring and it's tied into our media consumption and how it's delay how it's interrelated to our sexual development. So. Um, this is Bianca Lawson, uh, notable because she's 34 years old, but she has been playing a 17-year-old for 17 years. <laughs> Why do I think that's a big deal? Um, this is her in 1995 and her down in 2012. Because our children think Bianca Lawson is how old? About 17. So our 12-year-olds, our 14-year-olds, they always want to play up. You know, it's human nature. Uh, and so they think this woman is one of them. And then she shows up on FM or, you know, Maxim Ma magazine. Uh, and, of course, she, it's okay for her to because she's 34. She's old enough. It's okay for her to because she's 23. She's old enough now. Well, they don't make that distinction, you know. They see one of them doing that, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest that message. And they don't digest it well, but all this is forming them into, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to be. Um, and the boys do the same thing. Well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to pursue. Well, lucky for me, because that's what turns me on and sort of gets me going. Justin Bieber, 2009. Um, sweet Justin, Justin Bieber in 2013. Uh, this is in the spate earlier this year where he, uh, he and his bus had a bunch of marijuana when they were on tour in Europe, and he lost a monkey, and he didn't care, and everything was just imploding, and he took up cell phone. In the middle of a concert, because no doubt he was drinking, and he took the phone, and he took a picture of himself, a selfie, and then he opened his pants, and he took a picture down his pants, and he gave it back to the girl. And all this is just being chronicled how? On Vine. I mean, everybody had their cell phone up and was doing that with Justin. And so just to watch how this is happening. And then I use this as an example, because we have a poster like that in our house. Justin 2009, but this is who he is now, and our children don't make that distinction. They think Justin is that. Or Miley Cyrus, 2009, the time of, uh, what movie was she in? Um, Hannah, Montana. Hannah Montana, the movie, 2009, when it was released, went to the Oscars. This is a picture from that Oscars. The song, The Climb, which is kind of a sweet song, actually. It's The Climb, you know. Well, and then, of course, we know what happened a couple of weeks ago. I didn't even pick the bad <laughs> shots of her and, and Robin Thicke at... Um, at the, uh, the Video Music Awards just like three weeks ago. I mean, you couldn't not see it. Um, and our children can't make the distinction between Bianca Lawson or Justin Bieber or Miley Cyrus to think, well, now she's 19, so she can do that, to when she was 16 and one of us. They think she's one of us. So who's going to be the next one? Somebody who's the sweet kid right now in five years will be the same. Um, Dakota Fanning, same thing. Uh, when she was, you know, from War of the Worlds to uh, a perfume ad. Um, this is Katy Perry, uh, primarily uses an example of Photoshop, um, how the actual untouched image on the left kind of goes over to the right, not to mention what's just kind of out there. Same time, she's on Sesame Street, by the way. She's showing up in Rolling Stone doing that. This is Julia Roberts. Um, uh, this image was banned um, this is about four years old now, so it's been a while. It was banned in a lot of the magazines in Europe because it was just so heavily touched. I mean, that's not, that's not a person. She's beautiful, but it's not a person. Julia Roberts is the person on the right. Um, you know, all these pictures, whether on movies or whatever else, there's so many filters, there's so many things. We're not actually seeing people as they are. We're seeing something else, and that affects us. 
move through a lot of this. It can come back and bite you. This also isn't how she looks, but this is how you can be made up to look, which is a great source of shame for our children when they get picked on by a bully because somebody airbrushes them as fatter or whatever else or, you know, fat face app or whatever else. And, you know, small, maybe, but big deal to them. Um, I'm sure there's an app out there that'll take, I could take a picture of Scott and it'll get acne all over his face. And, oh, isn't that funny? You know, when you're 14 and you're already insecure, that's a big deal. Um, this is Hermione Granger. In other words, Emma Watson. Um, where's her right leg? So this happens with, in a, in, in, a, in, Photoshop. Uh, it, they cut it out. They airbrushed it straight off. It's not there. Um, not even to mention that this isn't Hermione anymore. This is Emma Watson. Disney's bad. This is 1937 to 1958. Even then, look, mid-50s, look at her waist. Look how com different, you know, no shoulders. Look at her waist. Then suddenly, a lot more skin, you know, subtle. 1992, come to Jasmine. Um, I think Disney's gone up just a little bit from this, but look out! Look at the lips again. Um, look at the the waist. You know, doesn't exist. The bust line, the plunging uh, skirt right below the navel. Just sex, 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 sex. Red, the excitable color. Um, lot goes on. Our girls digest this. Our boys digest this. They're having people are having conversations with them about sex all the time. Um, this is Merida, the last one. Um, uh, on the left, uh, right when the movie Brave came out, and then on the right when they realized they got something here and she could be a princess, and they kind of glammed her up. You can see they, they, they made her hair a little bit different, a lot fuller. Uh, uh, they lowered her dress so the shoulders are revealed. You know, just a hint of a bust line, slimmed out her waist. Um, actually created a little bit of a backlash. Parents are starting to catch on to this. Um, this is Marilyn Monroe and Scarlett Johansson. I forget who just called Scarlett Johansson the um, most beautiful woman alive again. But look at the lips. This is what I want to do. I don't know if it happened before Marilyn Monroe, but, but uh, I'm watching this. Um, I see more and more our teenagers sort of imitating this pose, this sexual openness, this suggestivity. It's not, it doesn't take a rocket science to see this. And I talked to Becky Whitson, one of our sex therapists at Covenant, about this, and she agrees that openness, it, it clearly, uh, with the, the, the heightened red lipstick, it's, it's not a leap to, to see that, that resembles female genitalia. The openness to oral sex, I think, is suggested. The passivity, um, the, uh, uh, the suggestion that I'm available, all this is present. Remember the Grand Theft Auto part? And our girls are imitating this because as they digest it, this is who they are, becomes a bleak picture. All this to say, we have a voice. Here and it's going to be a disproportionate voice. Um, go through some of these slides here because it's not that important. This is all androgyny. Um, coming out to these 12 principles, where's some news here that we can sort of use? Uh, the first one is the biggie. Um, uh, sex education is a shaping of character. What's the good news there? Similar to the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall love the Lord your God. Um, uh, before all others. It's sort of the one. If you get that, the others begin to fall in line. Seek first the kingdom and everything else should be given. Realizing that sex education is not the talk and it's not um, primarily about information, but it's an ongoing conversation where you're engaging, we are engaging our children in an ongoing way 
with the voices that are out there. And it's not so much on defense, but offense. Not trying to defend them from, I hope she doesn't have sex until blank time. Or I hope she spared or he spared the... Uh, the shame of, um, of, of, of cyberbullying with a sexting or something else like that. Uh, but something much more um, expansive and positive to see it that, you know, I, I want them to be free in their sexuality um, and properly have it expressed within the, the, a marriage between a husband and a wife. Um, and to have that vision and to see that that, as it's related to uh, who they are vis-a-vis alcohol and internet usage or responsible use of technology and all the other sort of hot things that are out there right now, they're all about this one thing, which is good news because then you don't have to go to 38 different talks like this to get, okay, here's my strategy for drinking, here's my strategy for sex, here's my strategy for internet, here's my strategy for car, here's my strategy for college. That's all good, but it also comes back down to the center part. It's who they are. And I have a voice, because in the second one, parents of the principal sex educators could give this talk outside of the church, just to a school, and, and still speak to this point very strongly. Research is plain. Um, parents continue to have a disproportionate power, a disproportionate voice to all the voices that are out there. Um, and what does that look like? In practical terms, that voice looks like emotional support, and that voice looks like clear, reasonable uh, and realistic expectations. Here's what that means. Uh, parents are the principal sex educators, not the school, because they're kind of handcuffed. We shouldn't expect them to do something that they can't do. They're going to talk about anatomy and physiology, uh, and they're going to kind of stop there. Um, we have the privilege, the opportunity to have the voice to say, um, this is more about who you are and not what you do. Uh, and that voice will then be heard when, and this is the, 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 the research-based statement, if a child has one parent, um, at least one parent, to whom they feel sort of emotionally connected or from whom they feel uh, emotionally supported, um, statistics would suggest that that child is uh, at a far less risk for all those, quote, at-risk behaviors. Um, premarital sex, sexually transmitted diseases, um, unwed uh, pregnancies, alcohol and drug use, lots of those at-risk behaviors. Emotional support from one parent. Um, so how and when do we talk to our children about sex? Whenever we can, um, in an age-appropriate way, taking advantage, be askable, approachable parents, um, it says down there, uh, to, to begin to enter into conversations and make deposits. Uh, some are going to be long. They could be four-hour talks on the, you know, a trip to Gatlinburg or something like that that you sort of plan. It's your sort of, you know, coming-of-age trip, which is great. And some of them are a one-way conversation where we're just making a comment about Miley Cyrus because it flashes across the screen or you're watching the football game on Saturday with your son. And the 18th time the Axe, you know, deodorant commercial comes on, um, and you're the father and you tell your son, you're like, isn't that weird? I mean, why do they keep trying to sell us that during a football game? Um, and maybe he answers, maybe he doesn't, but you just made a deposit where you're asking him to begin to make a connection. Hmm, I wonder what the connection here is about that particular ad, those particular women clothed that particular way to football, why they do that. You know, they're starting to then pick up on that. These deposits, 
an ongoing conversation over a long period of time. Um, we have that privilege of being the, uh, the sex educators, which is to say the formation of our children's character. Emotionally close and supportive relationship. And then the second, and I'll sort of stop here, uh, expectations um, that our children would have, would know, you know, clearly what our reasonable and realistic and stated expectations are about them and, and, uh, and who we as a family um, are. Visa, and, and so how that plays out, what we would expect them to do um, and not do uh, in terms of reasonable and realistic use of a phone or in a relationship with uh, a boy or a girl or sex or if they see, if they get a, uh, a text from one of their friends and it's not a text but a sext as it's called, um, what do they do with that? That they would have a reasonable, they would know from us reasonable uh, and realistic and clear expectations on what to do if that should happen. Or if you haven't had, that doesn't mean you've anticipated that particular question um, exactly, but then they can approach you. It's like, Dad, look at this. And you don't wig out. Oh, crap, you got to go break the phone and all that stuff. Because what are they going to do? They're never going to come to you again. But you don't wig out. You're an askable, approachable parent. And, uh, and you say, wow, you know, great question. Buy yourself some time. What do you think about that? <laughs> Let them sort of come in. You're like, okay. Um, uh, and then begin the conversation. No, resume the conversation. Um, be askable, approachable parents, realizing that we have the privilege of being the principal sex educators. The good news is it's not just about sex. It's not just about drinking. It's not just about choices. It's about who they are. Some people call it character. I like to call it identity. Uh, that's, that's what we've been given to do. And all of it's connected, and we have then the privilege of, of releasing our children to God, remembering that he's actually, he's actually a big part of this. So there's a lot on this page. There's a lot on the back. I gave the uh, the source book, uh, the, that, that book, um, How and When to Tell Your Children About Sex by Stan Jones. There's some other uh, books for children in a part of a series, God's Design for Checks for Young Children, for Elementary Age Children, for Tweenagers, and for Teenagers. And then underneath it, I put, because it often comes up, um, and I was looking for this, Focus on the Family, James Dobson's group, I think actually have a very good line on masturbation, which is a question that often comes up, um, particularly for parents with boys, but but increasingly so, it's a concern for parents with girls. What do I do? Um, you're askable, you're approachable, you don't wig out. Um, uh, I think his line is a good one, and it's highlighted. It's, that's his emphasis, not mine. Their emphasis, not mine. In the last paragraph, you 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 see it in the middle. Um, that the worst. Uh, let me just read it. Um, your approach to this issue will mean to be tactful and realistic. A bottom line worth stressing is that masturbation should not play a major role in your child's life, either on one end as a source of relentless guilt, because that's what it often is, especially for those who grew up in sort of a strong Christian or moralist, don't do it, you know, you're going to lose your sight, you know, you know that's what they used to say. Um, uh, source of relentless guilt or as a frequent and persistent habit that displaces healthy sexual relationship in the future. It becomes so habitual that it becomes um, uh, you know, one of the most important things in your child's life. It's a concern one way or another because you're so riddled with guilt you can't, they can't see themselves any other way except as worthless or 
they're doing it so often that it preoccupies every single part of who they are. Um, to see it realistically and to approach it tactfully, it's like, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Um, there's a lot more to say about that. I'll, I'm going to pause and, and uh, pick that up individually or whatever else because it's on the sheet. Uh, you can read the rest. But I do like to bring that up um, just because it's a question that people have. So that's a lot, I know. There's a lot, lot, lot more to say. Um, but the primary parts are, it's about, there's a lot of voices. Um, don't you want to be one of them? It's not a talk. Resume the conversation anytime you can. Start whenever you can. Start earlier than you think you you uh, you should, um, because they're seeing it, whether they're knowing it or not. It's it's they're 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 uh, they're digesting it, and um, emotional closeness and clear, reasonable, and realistic expectations. That's kind of how it's summarized. So with that, Cameron. Yeah, what we're going to do now, if, if um, how we're totally doing this like teenagers, right? You've got a little note card so you can confidentially ask a question. Right? Um, but what we're going to do is, um, if you do have a question, you can write on the card if you prefer to do it that way. And then we'll take them all up. But um, Joe and Sarah and I are going to go up to the front and we'll just have like a little panel. And I think just to start, maybe Joe, Sarah, and I might just have like a short little 90 second word a piece. And then from there, we can, if you just want to ask questions, do whatever. So everybody should write something, even if it's a star-spangled right. banner, <laughs> just so <laughs> people don't know. Let's pass this around so it's captured. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll start off with a couple words and then we can go down. Oh, we're going to record that? Sure, sounds good. Yeah, I think, um, I think three quick things. The first thing I would say is, this may be the most important thing, is you can't just say no. You can't just say, don't have sex before marriage, don't look at pornography, don't do this, that, and the other. You need to you need to understand like what it is at the heart level your child is looking for when it comes to their sexual behavior. What they're looking for is intimacy. They want to be known. They want to be seen. Uh, that is why kids are doing all this absolutely absurd, ridiculous things on the internet, like seeing how long they can hold dry ice until they uh, until they scar their hand. Like that's like a that's like a huge trend right now. It's a fad. That's absurd. That's crazy. They want, they want, they are so desperate to be seen, so desperate for intimacy. So you need to help them unpack like what it, why it is that they want to look at pornography, why it is they want to hook up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. It's because they want the approval, they want the intimacy, they want to be known. And like, you know, intimacy is found in, there are healthy ways to find intimacy in relationship with Christ, uh, in relationship with their parents, in relationship with friends, in a healthy relationship, you know, like a boyfriend-girlfriend kind of relationship. So that's one thing I would say. Um, I would say, too, as you as you are filtering these messages, uh, you know, you, you need to, you cannot, you cannot hide from all the messages of the world. 
uh, you know, the, because of social media, if you, it would be nice if you could just move out into the woods and and homeschool and whatnot. But it's you're 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 you know, the only people who've been successful in suppressing messages are North Korea. Okay, that's that's the only people who are being so who who've had success. And um and so with that being said, like you need to be training your child how to filter this kind of stuff. So use the use culture against itself. When those commercials come up, when uh, there's a scene in a movie, ask what is that what is that telling you? What is what is this movie? What is this commercial communicating to you about sex? Uh, that it's there's no commitment, that there are no consequences, that it's just all fun and, and glorious. Yeah, that that is, and and help and move them towards the truth that none of that is true, and then um, I can't remember the third thing. Oh, I think um, you you don't just want virginity to be the finish line. You want your child to have a healthy, um, godly sexuality. Because what happens is if a child thinks that the only point in this is just to make it to marriage without sex, well, I sleep with my boyfriend or I sleep with my girlfriend. I've, I've, you know, I've cashed that chip in. It's over, right? No. Like there are, there are people who may not have sex before marriage, but who digest hundreds and hundreds of hours of pornography, who are probably a lot worse off in terms of their sexual relationship with their spouse than someone who had sex before marriage. So we, and you just have to have so much grace with this because everyone's going to screw up. So tons of grace and sexual like wholeness and health is kind of the the bottom line. And hey, virginity, that's a great we. Hey, hey, want that to happen for sure, but we don't want that to be the single message. I think the thing that I would say is that uh, in in the same way that we are uh, always in conversation uh, with our children about this, that we need to not forget that we are unfinished products as well, and that the fear and the anxiety that we have going into the conversation with our children is a great opportunity for our Heavenly Father to continue to form us. So this is a great opportunity for our own uh, spiritual formation as well and to continue to examine our own uh, identity and character and our walk with the Lord. Um, and, uh, and and that that being said, what um, we uh, I, we have three children, uh, Amy and I, and um, and uh, Caroline is our oldest, and she's in third grade, and we have begun the conversation um, because, uh, and I'll, I'll say, I, I was, we were not, we were a little naive uh, about uh, what we were doing, and we didn't have a, a code on our phones, and she heard about it, but knew enough in, in the conversation to know that that was maybe not something she should be asking, so she Googled it, and um, and so, and we caught her, and we, we needed to have that talk, but one thing we did is we did it together, uh, rather than just saying, okay, it's the girls, so Amy's going to have the talk. And um, it, and it was really, really positive. Uh, we did that really because we, we talked to Gil first. Um, but it was, um, it, was, it was really positive for me to be there for her uh, as her father. So that was, that was really good. And it wasn't, uh, we have a really good book in, um, uh, in the bookstore that helped us go through that conversation. And we decided to uh, tape one of the pages shut. So we didn't we didn't get all of it. Um, yeah, here, yeah. So, um, so, uh, so, and we'll have we'll have that for for later uh, as the conversation resumes. So it was really positive. So. Um. So I guess for my end, um, I'm still. You might be wondering why I'm here, except for I do hear a lot from gr- young girls, 
And um, I would just encourage, I guess, since y'all are the parents, speaking to y'all and saying it's really never too late, from my observation, to start that relationship. Um, because I see girls from, say, 12 to 25 who are desperate for that safe place in which to talk about these things. And even if you have a past of not really discussing it and maybe you know that um, they learned a lot of it from school or from their friends or whatever, what have you, I mean, I know countless stories of people kind of reinitiating that relationship with their mothers or fathers or usually for girls' mothers um, when they're 25 because they're still desperate and their friends, there's something special about a mother or a family member um, in general that where they can openly talk about things and also if they're young, um, not that my mother is perfect, but a good story about some of this that was really, that I was reflecting on when you were talking, I can remember um, my parents were definitely, they were scared to kind of, they didn't want to give me the full picture. I mean, they weren't ready to kind of give me that famous book. I can't think that they give in colleges um, that a lot of girls I knew read, but they didn't tell me the whole nine yards on the first go round, but they said, come back if you have a question. And, um, and I would ask things sometimes and they would say, you know, I don't know that you're ready to hear this, but if you really want to know, I'll tell you. And letting me kind of, um, that was helpful for me as a child to say, there were times when I said that's, they said that's a bur- this is a weight and this is a burden for that I don't know if you're ready to carry, but if this is something that you're hearing in school and you, you know, I understand that you want to know and I'll open to tell you. And so I felt like they were meeting me in a in a place that almost not as equals certainly because they knew something I didn't know, but um, respecting me. So. Back just on that one part, because I didn't say this, and it came up afterwards in the first uh, to the first session. Being askable, approachable, and kind of on the heels of what you said. Um, your when your kid comes up and asks you a question about sex and says something really uncomfortable, like, "What well, does that mean?" You and Dad, dot dot dot. It doesn't mean you tell them everything. You know, discretion is not the same thing as lying. Um, and that's a word I want to sort of differentiate. It goes for alcohol use. Did you drink like that when you were in college? You know, you don't have to tell your child everything, but that's not the same thing as lying. You know, don't lie and say, nope, never did it, if that's a lie. Um, it's like, you know, that's a good question, but it's, you know, and, and one day we can have that conversation. Now it's not the right time to have that. Um, uh, well, when you and Dad, you know, is that, you know, well, you know, we've talked about, you know, your how sex is uh good, it's given by God, um, you know, it's important, but it's also private, and there's that's, that's something that's really special between me and your dad, and there's some things that you're not going to know about about that part of our life, you know, that kind of thing. You don't have to, being approachable and askable doesn't mean like, well, you know, she's seven now, so I guess we're going to tell her everything, you know, that's <laughs> obviously not it, so um, discretion is not the same thing as lying to your child, so, so that's a good Dakota. So where do we go from here? Well, um, it, my 
here's my initial reaction. Uh, I would get uh, you, uh, you and his dad to, to um, say, look, you don't have to talk, but you have to listen. And the reason is because there are tons and tons and tons of other messages coming out there, and we need to we just need to explain a little bit of that to you. And do it over ice cream or whatever, something he likes, or you know, right before the game or, or something, and so that there's a definite sort of endpoint, something to look forward to. And you just say, listen, it's you're getting older, and this is we we love you and we care for you, and um, this isn't a, this isn't about don't. This is about you know just helping. So, and then sweeten the pot, you know, just you know, help 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 him uh, get something that he really wants out of it. My guess is that once you have the conversation and then you leave the conversation with him and he's with his dad, then there's some more conversation coming. Well, and have, I kind of get the sense that he, he knows some of the stuff that he's not yeah. being forthcoming about. But my husband is kind of, we were in the car together one day, just the two of them, and he kind of tried to get it going and he was very quick to shut it down. He didn't, he didn't want to talk about it. But I, I feel like I, it needs to be, I can't just mm-hmm. leave it alone. I think if he, my, my guess is, that if you, if he sees your love, then he will endure 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and if he doesn't want to, be the parent. I mean, you know, just lovingly, but but just, that's that's my reaction. Totally. I know a lot. Of, I know a lot of people my age who are, they're very hurt that their parents never said anything mm-hmm. to them about sex. Like this is an area where I could have incurred so much damage. And you didn't have a single thing to say, and you know, sure, as a fifth grader, they probably would have would have fought it. Um, but as an adult, they're like, "Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, why did you let me control mm-hmm. the conversation?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, you let the world you let the world be the author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. I like to expand it. You know, sometimes it's a twenty-minute conversation. Sometimes it's two hour. But go back to the word you used earlier: deposits. Mm-hmm. One-way deposits, where you're not asking for any response from him per se. But he hears you, and that's formative. You know, it's like, I, your mom and I don't think that's, that's not the right way women should be treated. Mm-hmm. You know, make a statement like that when a commercial comes on TV. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the conversation. doesn't mean that he has to. Some kids want to have the give and take. There are others that I am not. But I think they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt. Another real practical tip. Uh, car time is great time because it's this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's not threatening. But if I do this, it's like, so do you have any questions? <laughs> your mom and I really want to know what you're thinking. And I'll, I remember how that. your friends. And right? I wanted you know. to crawl under the table. Absolutely. Non-threatening, real casual, you know, where they can look out the window, <coughs> they can be doing this, whatever else. Or I would walking. Walking, yeah. where, not making eye contact. Eye contact is actually very intimate, which is also very threatening. Um, and so just remember that. Give them some some grace on that. That's a parenting thing. It's like, look at me when I'm talking to you. It's like, that is where the injury can occur, actually. Let them, let them save face and look down. I think that's one of the things that, that, that book, do you have the, the book, the, the younger book, or maybe some in that series? I've got two of them from the series. Um, this one, it's actually for like five to eight-year-olds, and it's like illustrated children's book, but we were both able to look at the book, and that that's that was kind of nice, too. It's a really good... Um, I have a question that, develop, that um, deals with developmental 
issues that have to do with with all of these things, with sex and drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol. When when they're when the young people are looking at m- the media, movies, whatever, and you're trying to explain to them that this is exaggerated, it's ludicrous. That's why it's supposed to be f- funny. If if it was 16 candles when I was mm-hmm. you know 20 or whatever, or it's some of the other stuff that they're seeing, and no matter how many times you say it is not appropriate for you to look at the hangover, or it's not appropriate for you, whatever, they go somewhere and they do it, mm-hmm. and and so they are seeing these things. When we tell them that that is exaggerated, mm-hmm. and that it's not real life does not work that way, are they hearing us? Do they really understand that that's the case, <coughs> or is it warping their view of things so much that they think that that's normal. Yes, yes. Yes, they are hearing you. Yes, they are being warped. Yes, they are being brought up to think that that's normal. But I want to overemphasize the disproportionate power of the first yes. Yes, they are hearing you. I think that, and the research bears this out, remember the emotional closeness and the clear, realistic, and reasonable expectations. When the hangover is out there, um, and, and they're thinking, that must be the way it is, and I can't wait till I'm 24, because I want to go do that. Um, you make a one-way deposit saying, that's not the way it is. I don't approve. Your dad and I think that's inappropriate. I think that's inappropriate. Uh, and you leave it there. Now, then it's a parenting question when they do it anyway. If you say, we think that's inappropriate. We don't want you to watch that. And you find out that they do. That's another question about consequences and discipline and all that sort of stuff. That's March, right? (laughs) Um, But you've still engaged the conversation and you're you're, you're a part of the conversation. Let me put it that way. You have an opportunity to be two parts of the conversation Um, on the front end. We don't think that's appropriate. We think that's, um, it's not realistic. That's not the way it actually happens. Um, And you start to ask them questions, some of Cameron's good questions. Uh, why do you think it's a movie, and why do you think they portray it that way? Um, and you start a conversation. That's a way even for a reticent kid, because it's non-threatening, um, more, it's less threatening than, you know, tell me about what your question is about a, an erection. <laughs> um, but why do you think The Hangover is so popular? I was like, well, that's a good question. Um, and you can start to play that out. That's what I'm saying is a part of this conversation ongoing. So did that begin to answer your question? Um, is, are they being warped by it? Yes, but the disproportionate power of a parent. I, I'm, I'm, I really bank on that. Well, the, the difference in being able to, to discipline your 11 or 12-year-old for, for what they've chosen to view is different from trying to have an impact on an older child. Absolutely. You know, college-age student or an older boy. Absolutely. And they're seeing more and more and more about that in terms of neuroscience, brain development, um, I mentioned some of that in the picture of the 19-year-old doing that. Uh, brain moves so fast uh, between age 11, 14, 17, 20, 25. You can almost say that the 25-year-old is not the same person that they were when they were 11. Now, human nature is the same, but they're a, they're a wholly different person. You're the parent. We're the parents. We are the principal formers of their character. I think the thing to talk to them too about, I mean, like the hangover, um, 
they have these wild experiences, and the appeal is the sort of vicariousness of that, and then they go back to their life. Yeah, Cameron's word. Yeah, it's no it's happily ever after. Yeah, right. I mean, he lost a tooth, but other than that, I mean, so I heard. But the um, <laughs> the um, um, other than that, uh, it, they go back to their lives, and um, and so. I, I, that's that to me is the lie, even more than the craziness in the movie. The lie is that there are that there's and, and, and talking to him about that. Okay, so you watched it. I didn't want you to watch it. Let's talk about what what you saw and and how that. I mean, that, that's, that's the punishment. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. That's really. Fits. Here's the con- Here's the consequences of you. That's that's a really good. Yeah, I think I think too. You want to also bring it back to like and and here is why. I want you to understand this. It's because I want you to have a, you know, I want you to have a, a really good relationship with your spouse. Um, I want you to to enjoy sex with your spouse, and and God wants that for you too. And that is why I am saying that. So, so that they can see that this is not just, you know, God is up there, or you, or the parent, or just the cop saying no, 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 no. But like, no, I. I don't want you to embrace what's being portrayed in The Hangover because when you sleep with a stripper in Vegas, there are consequences for you and there are consequences for that person. And I, I don't want you to have that, you or that person to have a sense of shame and, and isolation and guilt. And I don't want you to carry that into marriage. And it's because I love you and because we want what's best for you. This is going to sound awful. I always we we always start out sex education by talking about I want you to have the best and the most sex possible as a married person. Average person who waits until marriage to have sex, that couple will have sex over 5000 times in their lifetime. The average couple that has sex before marriage will have sex less than 3300 times in their lifetime. People who wait until marriage have more sex quantifiably by more than 30%. That sells. That sells, my friends, with teenage boys. Anyhow. But, but, yeah, and they describe it as more satisfying. Absolutely. And on top of that, what you can say is like, I'm on your side. I know you want to have sex. I did too. I still do. And we're on the same team here. And let me tell you, God's on your team too. We're for you because really, the, the, the bottom line question in all of in obedience is, is God for me? You know, is, does God love me? Does he have my best interest? That's what Satan gets Adam and Eve on in the garden. And so we want to reinforce we are for you in this. Right, because I think it's important to push past just from what I've seen, just the rule and the Christian moralism. And that's exactly what you're saying. Just that because if you keep it as a, I don't want you to have sex because it's the Christian thing to do, that doesn't Very hold. Good. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean. It's not going to carry when they're in college. I've it's seen, not carry when they're in And I've seen that a hundred times. You know, I mean, it just really... I think if you can, and that's why I think conversation is important to say, God isn't just saying this because he says, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I say, and to go through the scenarios like you're saying, mm-hmm. I think is helpful, and the practical applications too. This is um, a, a, little, a, a little bit of um, a different angle, but just as far as that conversation, and you know, when you hear the thing on the radio, or when even in the cartoon something comes up, um, and you want to, and I mean, and, you know, like with families, you have children at different ages. You know, like we have an eight-year-old who, who is definitely interested, asking some questions. And we sort of started a conversation with her. And then six-year-old who, I mean, is already being formed, like you said, like because they're seeing it on the, with the cheerleaders or whatever. But um, when things come up, is it, 
I struggle because I mean I definitely try to say, you know, I try to bring it up, you know, point it out whether it's a, you know, that they're saying things that are mean to each other or that are sassy or whatever, but you know about the things that are more sexual or whatever. Is it better for them to hear from us? I struggle on whether to make a comment about it or ask a question about it mm-hmm. because they're they're still kind of young and formative. Is it better for them to hear me saying, you know what that that is that is inappropriate or you know whether it's the way someone's dressing or the way that um, they're talking to each other, male female or Miley Cyrus stuff? Is it better? I don't know. I want to do what's best for them in the long run, and I'm like, I tend to make a, you know, a comment, but sort of in a loving way, like maybe she just didn't learn, you know, like I don't want them to be judgmental, because mm-hmm. then I hear my six-year-old saying, oh, mom, she's not dressed appropriately, you know, then I'm like, oh, I don't want them to, you know, just become a, you know, but, um, but I struggle on whether to make a comment or ask them, what do you think about that, but I'm like, they're so young. You know, if Caroline says, oh, this is what I think about it, even if that's totally bad, Thomas is going to think what she said. <laughs> right. So that's a, that's a lot of questions. What do you think? I'm going to let Joe handle that. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Joe Listen, honey. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, Why do you think she asked the question? Yeah, if you're looking to me. Statistically, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that kind of statistic. Um, and my, my hunch is it's just kind of an intuition. And I usually follow that. Both, I mean, situation to situation, you and I might be able to say, I'd probably make a comment on that, or I think that's a great opportunity to open up a two-way conversation. And that's that's the way to think about it. You know, what's the timing here? Is this the time for a deposit? One way. Is this time for a conversation? two-way, both invaluable, both needed, clear, reasonable, realistic expectations, that's one way, emotional support and closeness, what's that like, how'd that feel, um, wow, that must have been hard, you know, it's difficult when everybody else feels like they're doing that, you know, those kinds of conversation pieces that they can then come back, so without knowing the specifics, I think both and, not either or, I hear what your question is, you know, I have a hard time knowing when to do one or the other, um, you know, one thing you threw out, it may not be a time for a great two-way conversation when younger children are in the room, and it would be age-inappropriate for them to have that kind of discussion. Maybe that's a time for a deposit. Maybe it's time also to, you know, that's a, I want a, you and I to have that conversation later, but right now, you know, your dad and I are thinking that's, that's probably not an appropriate thing for her to, her to be doing. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that later, that kind of thing. Uh, we were in a Sunday school years ago. I had a similar one like this. I think you had some covenant people. They were talking about the radio and how your kids do know so much more than you realize. And mine even tell me, Mom, you don't even know what that song means that you're singing along to. <laughs> but um, I said, I had the youngest one in there and the middle one, and I tried to bring up something, and brother's like, Mom, I was like, I'm sorry, but I've learned that we need to talk to Warren about this. So he turned off the radio. He said, we are never listening to the radio again if Warren's in the car. <laughs> but my he point got real is, protective. Yeah. 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 Well, no, he just didn't want to hear it. Oh. No, he wasn't being protective. <laughs> I was being too generous. Yeah. But now, I think I have said so much, and I try to do the deposits like mm-hmm. you said, but I think I've become such a broken record. Before I could even say anything, all three of them will turn up, we know, Mom, you know, mm-hmm. or the radio or whatever. We know. We've got it. And so I think I've overdone it. Is that possible? 
Praise and the maybe Lord. It's, maybe I'm way more judgmental sounding than mm. I think I am. But you are. You're being clear. They're saying, we got it, Mom. We know your story. Um, and that is good. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Some of Amy's tension of, you know, are we breeding judgmentalism? Mm-hmm. You know, judgment is not bad. Discernment, judgment, making appropriate decisions in appropriate places at appropriate times, that's making a judgment. Uh, we do that all the time, every day, and that's what we need our adolescents to grow up and, and, and have mm-hmm. is better judgment. That's not the same as being judgmental. Those people are bad. We're good. That's not it. Maybe it's time, if they got it, Mom, to uh, sort of bring that up. It's like, you know, y'all do get it. Help me with this. I I don't think that they're bad. I don't think Miley Cyrus is a bad person. What do y'all think? They may go, well, wait a minute. Of course she's bad. You've told us for ten years that she's bad. He's like, well, that's my fault. I didn't mean to make you think that she was a bad person. I said, what she's doing is inappropriate. It's a big difference between what she does and who she is. Well, what are you doing? You're having a conversation. I fantasize about having those kind of conversations with my children, and they don't happen, but that's my story. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, if, if it's, we got it, Mom, well, then throw them a bone. It's like, well, you know, flip it. Mm-hmm. You know, do something unexpected. Yeah, you tell me what you think I would say. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I think you always buy yourself capital to be when you leave in vulnerability. Absolutely. Like, Good word. Just like, hey guys, I know it's probably so annoying for you. I just want you to know, like, the world you live in is so different than the world I lived in. It is so scary for me to think about all the challenges you face that I don't. And that I, that's why I sound like a broken record. And and so that's why I'm saying this. I, I just think if you, it's good. if you open up like that, they're a lot more... If they, they're a lot more, if, if they understand you, they're a lot more apt to listen and not disregard you. And one of the things that we always hold on to, even with little kids, is, is the reaction you get now doesn't mean that that's the lesson that they get later. Mm-hmm. And so if they say, Mom, whatever, you know, as 25-year-olds, you know, thank you so much for the yeah. gift that you gave us. So, mm-hmm. mm. One thing I'm realizing with my children is that how much the media has taken the shock value away from mm. A lot of these issues mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. thinking I've got this great kid that's been brought up in church and he will come up download some app and I'm thinking just the title of it is yeah. horrifying does, why does that not horrify you? how did we bring them back in to realizing hard. that hard. this mm-hmm. should be bad and why don't I realize when that? I say they've digested it what they've done is the, the middle has been moved mm-hmm. you know the middle you know really good really bad mm-hmm. the middle has been moved so now what's normal is uh, has shifted I mean, it just has. Sh- I mean, do we shift our parenting? I, I don't want to shift. Yeah, I don't think so. But, I mean, um, you know, and so what is that? It's hard. It's complicated. It's confusing. Um, Joe and Cameron's word, you know, vulnerability is a powerful word. He's like, look, I'm frustrated, and sometimes I, I'm, I'm just afraid for y'all because this isn't the world I grew up in. What's now at, on at seven o'clock shows wouldn't have been able to be on when I was a child because they would have been seen as inappropriate. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? But they're hearing it, and you're leading with your frustration and with your vulnerability and saying, you know, I think the middle has been reset. So your dad and I, or what I'm trying to do is bring this back to what we think the Lord wants us to to, uh, to hold up in front of y'all. You don't have to use that language if you don't want to. We're trying to bring this back to what we think needs to be held up for you as acceptable. 
even the title of that app is not acceptable. And I can imagine that's not something you're happy with. Um, you know, that kind of conversation. It doesn't go that calmly in real life, I know. Um, but it's a conversation. Um, sorry, Rebecca, you have a question. Then we should probably, if, if, if anyone needs to leave, it's, it's past 10.30. It's like 10.40. So if you need to leave, no one's going to take it as rude if you hit the road. We'll take this last question, and then people can chitty chat after. Um, what is the... Uh, what do we do in youth groups? I know we have the 6th and 7th grade um, sex education, but what is the continuing conversation? Is it in Sunday school? Is it at UIC? Or what, it, what does the church do? Well, do I mean, it's like it's like I prompted her to say this. That on <laughs> Sunday, what, what is it? Sunday, November the 10th? November 10th, we're going to have a sex ed for ninth through 12th grade yeah. here at Cramner House from 1, uh, 45 to 4.15. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, like that's that. Correct. Look for our email. But I know that's a holiday weekend. Stop. What holiday? November 11th is Veterans Day. Oh, crap. Okay, we'll probably change that. But um, anyway. Um, sorry, and on top of that, Rebecca, I think we take on a, a similar posture as what Gil is espousing as far as, as a conversation. So, like, you know, when we're talking about what, you know, okay, so we're talking about something in the Bible, and then we're talking about what is it, you know, what are the, the theological principles behind it, and then we always kind of have scenarios, like application scenarios, where we're talking about, so, like, how does this relate to your life? Well, da 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 sex is always, like, sex, pornography, things like that are always kind of application, application-type examples. So, that it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just always kind of organically uh, included in what we do with small groups and a lot of times with Sunday school. I don't know if that's helpful. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than, okay, every two years, meaning six times in your yeah. child's youth ministry career, they're going to talk about sex, and no other times they are. That's against everything we've just said. You know, parents aren't principally the sex educators. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. You're trying to have the talk three times realistically with our schedules, if your child makes one of those, you're going to be lucky. And remember how they change from fifth grade, and we're going to do in November 23rd or whatever, start that conversation. They're going to be that, and then they're going to be in seventh grade, then they're going to be in tenth, then they're going to be in twelfth. They're different. And what is the world, I mean, remember the timeline of, of mm-hmm. social media? You're, our sixth grader is now, what, six years and they're in twelfth grade? If that continues, there will be Ten significant new apps and social media outlets for who knows what yet. We've not even envisioned it. Holograms are coming. Um, you know, it, it, the world of interactive sex toys is is right on the cusp. It's uh, it's that's out there. I mean, that's that's a world that our children will certainly know is important. So there's just there's just all sorts. Remember, you can't catch every arrow. Um, it's a it's a world of Offense. We are forming our children who they are. One, sorry, one last word I would say is it's funny, I'm working on this series for a blog called How Youth Ministry Has Changed Now That I Have Children. And, you know, like it's, it was very different for me to have to, to be a part of this kind of forum before I had a child. And now that I have a child, when I'm, it, it, I mean, like I walked out of the first session this morning and I was like, there's <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> like sweating bullets, right? You know? And I mean, the word uh, I think we knew. The word I need to hear is 
the Lord is still good. The world has always been, since Adam and Eve sampled fruit in the garden, the world has been, evil has been there, and the Lord has continued to be sovereign. And, and Christ has won the battle on the cross, and Christ will come again. And so even though the challenges are different, the evil is all the same. And, um, and ultimately, your child is going to screw up in the same way we've all screwed up and, it, and continue to screw up and are going to need redemption. And so our hope continues to be in Jesus. And like, if our hope's in Jesus, that is the best position we can be in in this life. Okay. So don't, don't, um, don't, don't be terrified and buy into the belief that God is not sovereign and he's not good and he doesn't know all of this, that he doesn't have this all under control. And I'm going to pop some real late, so no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone want to, yeah, Joe, you want to pray for us? Uh, sure. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are good, that our children and that we ourselves are in your hands. Um, we pray for wisdom. We pray for faith. Uh, both for ourselves and for our children. We ask, Lord, that as you form them, that you would form us, that you would give us the grace to put together an environment in our homes that our children would live in such that the environment and not just the information would uh, form them to be men and women of God first, women, men and women of Christ, of character, um, of faith, and that, uh, Lord, we just pray for your mercy uh, on our families, on our churches, uh, on um, uh, just on our lives. And that you, Lord, in, uh, in your mercy, by your grace, uh, would uh, form men and women of character uh, that glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all.